But let me start by telling you the thought that God has dropped in my spirit for today. That our conversation will center around. And that thought is this. When you become desperate enough in your situation that you not only pray about it, but you act on it, he will answer. When you not only pray about what you are desperate about, but you're willing to act upon your desperation, God will show up. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the narrative that we will explore today. Don't be seated. I want you to stay up on your feet. I know you've been on your feet for a minute, but just hang on with me. 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14 through 25. We're in this series called Bones, and today the mentioning of bones in this passage of Scripture is somewhat abstract. Very different from the last few messages where we have centered our conversation around the bones. We actually need to do some work when it comes to the reference of bones in this passage of Scripture. It is ironically placed within a narrative of Scripture that has brought about much theological conversation as to why it is where it is at in the story. But I want to begin with you in verse 20. Here's what verse 20 says. It says, Elisha died and was buried. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. I certainly understand that there must be some theological, some historical, some literary significance when it comes to the fact that Elisha has died and has been buried. The positioning of this verse seems to be strange in the story if you read what is before this verse and what is after this verse. However, verse 22 gives us one more verse, one more picture, one more piece of insight when it comes to his death. It says, once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. <laughs> I love the spiritual connotation that is present in this passage, but I also love the comical relief that the word of God gives to us. Because I can only envision this group of people having this burial service for Jimmy. And they're carrying Jimmy's body and they're all mourning. And they look to the top of the hills and here comes the Moabites. And they're thinking, we better do something. We better hide or we're all going to die. And they just happen to come, Paul, to Elisha's tomb. And they push the tombstone away. They come in with Jimmy's body. They throw Jimmy's body on the ground. It happens to come into contact with Elisha's bones. And then they close the tombstone and they're looking out of this slight crack and once the coast clears somebody said they're gone we're all right so they turn around to get Jimmy and Jimmy's standing up and he says what's up <laughs> this is the only reference to Elisha's death in the Bible it's a very strange placement in this literary passage 
Because Elisha, who received a double portion of his predecessor's anointing, Elijah, did not go up to heaven or get caught up to heaven in a whirlwind the way his predecessor did. Instead, Elisha gets old, he gets sick, and then he dies. And there's much theological discussion about these two verses. But one thing that most theologians agree upon is that God was honoring the memory of a great prophet by allowing his bones to perform a miracle even after he was long gone. The only miracle of such that's even represented in the Bible. But to fully understand that, you really need to understand what is happening in the preceding verses. In the preceding verses, we see where God is doing a work in and amongst the nation of Israel through a sick and dying Elisha and a young king by the name of Jehoash. Now, before we get there, I need you to look at your neighbor and announce to them the subject matter of our conversation, and that is, don't you stop. Look at your other neighbor and say, don't you stop. Look at somebody else and say, don't you stop. And then you can be seated. Keep playing, D, this is good. Verse 14. Verse 14, everybody say, I'm there. Here's what happens. It says, now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, the king of Israel, went down to see him and he wept over him. Hold on a second. Elisha is sick. He will die from this illness, and the king, King Jehoash, goes down. He went down to see him, and he wept over him. We are seeing some things happen in Jehoash's life as a king that does not normally take place for a king. Here is the king going down to see the man of God and weeping over the man of God when a king does not weep in the presence of anyone, and most of the time the king summons anyone he, he wants to see. But in this case, he goes to see the man of God, and he weeps over him we can look at this and assume that it's because Jehoash had this great spiritual connection with God but that was not necessarily the case especially if you understand the historical context of their spiritual journey the people of Israel were not worshiping the one true God they were worshiping many false gods at this moment in time but King Jehoash was not worshiping false gods. He was just not worshiping any god, especially the one true God. And so he goes to see Elisha, and he sees that Elisha is about to die, and he begins to weep over him. He begins to weep over him because he realizes that his connection to the one true God is fading away. He begins to weep over him because he realizes that Elisha is the conduit that God uses to speak to the nation of Israel. He begins to weep over him because he knows that all of that is fading away the directives that God would give the inspiration that God would give the application that God would give the instructions that God would give is beginning to vanish because Elisha is slipping away and now King Jehoash has just assumed the throne but he's in the most desperate situation in his life and in his desperation he goes to Elisha in hopes that Elisha would just give him a word give me a word 
and he does something that no king would ever do. He goes down to see Elisha and he weeps over Elisha. And the reason why he's doing that is because he's hoping that not only will Elisha give him a word, but that he will receive something that he's never received before. You see, what I am trying to say is that many of you are crying out to God for God to show up and that is good. But your problem is you are unwilling to do something that you've never done before in order to receive something that you've never received. The definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and over again, but expect a different result. Here is King Jehoash willing to do something different in hopes that he experiences something new. Look what happens in the next verses. It says, the rest of verse 14 says, My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, Get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands. He said to the king of Israel, when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. What you need to understand, and someone needs to hear this in this place, sometimes you have to fight for the things that God has proclaimed over you. Sometimes you have to fight the enemy back to receive what God has for you. You need to understand that an enemy who is going around seeking whom he may devour stands no chance against a Savior who's going around seeking whom he shall deliver. Good Lord have mercy. Somebody in this place needs to hear this prophetic word, and that is this, that you are about to experience breakthrough because of your zealousness to act upon your faith good lord have mercy i feel my teach turning into preach (laughs) something happens in the next verse verse 17 he says open the east window he said and he opened it he said shoot and he shot The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Verse 17, open the east window. Everybody say the east window. I almost named this message today the east window because I see so much significance here. I understand that there is a geographical explanation for this and we'll get into that in a few moments. But I also see the spiritual innuendo, Tom. Open the east window, which just happens to be the direction that the sun rises. Oh, hold on a second. And then I remembered that the Bible says that his mercies are new every single morning, that he renews us day by day, and that the darkness of the night gives way to, 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 the, to the rising of the sun. Listen, open the east window because it's a new day, Jehoash. Grab a bow and some arrows. Then verse 18 shows us the problem. Here is Elisha trying to change the mindset of Jehoash. We'll talk about that in a few minutes, but you begin to see it unfold right here in verse 18. Then he said to him, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. Not meaning take the arrows and strike the ground, but strike the ground, shoot the arrows. He says, shoot the arrows, strike the ground. Look, it says, strike the ground, strike the ground. And he struck the ground three times and he stopped. Hold on a second, circle that, and he stopped. Somebody say, and he stopped. Somebody say, don't you stop. Don't you stop. Hold on a second. 
here is, is God showing him the tool that he will use to bring victory to the Israelites over their foe, the Arameans, which happens to be the Syrians. And he's telling him to shoot or strike the ground. He says to shoot. He says, open up the east window and shoot and strike the ground. But here, because of the apparent or inevitable defeat in the life and the history of the Israelites, it seems like Jehoash can only muster up three arrows to leave the east window and strike the ground because his thought process, his demeanor is beginning to coalesce with his actions and it seems to be fruitless to strike the ground three times or four times or five times if, if you're surrounded by an enemy and defeat seems to be imminent. Why even do this? Why strike the ground three times, four times, five times? You see, now all of a sudden the very tool that God has given him is no longer being used the way he needs to use it because his mental capability cannot see past defeat because all he has ever experienced is defeat. And therefore the picture that he sees in his mind begins to control the, his willingness to act upon his faith. Sometimes the picture that we see compels us to stop acting. Sometimes the picture that we see in our finances compel us to stop giving. Sometimes the picture that we see in our relationships compel us to stop loving. Sometimes the picture that we see in our marriage compels us to stop forgiving. Sometimes the picture that we see because we're tired compels us to stop worshiping. But Jehoash, he's telling him, Elisha's saying to him, I understand that you have inherited a mess. I understand that you are new to the throne. I understand that you are young. But the problem for Jehoash is this. You have to grab this. Jehoash has witnessed every king before him, his father, his grandfather, rule half-heartedly, rule and love God half-heartedly. And because they loved God and worshiped God half-heartedly, now their nation is under oppression and the Syrians are coming in and taking major cities from the Israelites and not giving those cities back, but they're taking them for their own. And now here is Jehoash who is overwhelmed by the pressure in life. He's overwhelmed by the responsibility in life. He's so desperate. How many of you have ever been overwhelmed by the responsibility that is staring you in the face? Come on, get your hands up. <laughs> I mean, it just looks cool to own your own business. I want to own my own business. Oh, that's going to be so cool. And it sounds cool, but then all of a sudden you have the financial burden that goes with it. I mean, it looks great to be a parent, but then all of a sudden you have those dirty diapers that go with it. You seem to be overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed as a parent. You're overwhelmed as a business owner. You're overwhelmed as a pastor. And in this situation of being overwhelmed he goes to Elisha he doesn't know what to do because everything that he's ever seen is the Syrians coming in and taking whatever they want he's seen this happen even under his father's reign so he comes to Elisha and he says to Elisha in verse 14 he says my father my father the chariots and the horsemen you need to grab that my father my father 
the chariots and the horsemen. That is a literary statement. Let me park here for a minute because you need to grab that. That is a literary statement that makes inference to strength. My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen. But in the context that Jehoash is using it, he is not making reference to strength. But rather what he is saying is my father, my father. The chariots and the horsemen are not helping us in this situation. And I realize that my strength comes from God. I realize that our strength comes from our relationship with God. I realize that our strength comes from the prophet's presence. I realize that and all of that seems to be slipping away. I realize that my strength does not come from my college education. My hope does not come from my finances. My ability to get by does not come from my career. My will to get over does not come from my kids. What you need to understand is the place that God has planted you. He will never put you in a place or give you anything that will cause you not to need him. My father, my father, I don't know who I'm preaching to, but you need to understand that the place that you desire to go, this is prophetic, the place that you desire to go, you cannot get there without God placing you there because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And here is Jehoash needing comfort from Elisha. My father, my father, I do not know what to do in this situation. I'm attacked on the left. I'm attacked on the right. I'm attacked in the east. I'm attacked in the north. I'm attacked in my finances. I'm attacked in my marriage. I need comfort. God, I need you to help me comfort me I need a comforting word Elisha but he did not give him a comforting word you need to understand sometimes God does not comfort you in your discomfort sometimes he uses your discomfort to compel you to act so get a bow and an arrow Mm. notice something notice something he didn't give Elisha a comforting word he gave Elisha Or Elisha didn't give Jehoash a comforting word. He gave Jehoash a word of application. You see, what good is it to hear a word if you're not going to act on it? Because the Bible says that we must not be hearers of the word, but we must be doers of the word. He did not give Jehoash a comforting word. He gave him a word of action. He didn't say go into the next room and wait upon the Lord and sing, They that wait. Upon the Lord. That song may be appropriate for some time, but it was not appropriate for this time. He did not tell him to go and wait. He didn't give him a comforting word, Jim. He gave him a word of application, a word of instruction. He was trying to change his mindset because what I am trying to say to you today is that you cannot walk into victory if all you're doing is talking about defeat. You cannot walk into your future if you will not let go of your past. You cannot experience healing if you will not stop talking about brokenness. And sometimes you have the very tool for victory in your possession already grab that everything that you need for victory is already in your possession the problem is you're not using it properly get a bow and some arrows open the east window and shoot See, sometimes we're not using the tool correctly 
Because we've forgotten who gave us the tool in the first place. I need you to see something. Verse 16. Verse 16 says something. It says that when he told him to open the east window, he told him to grab a bow. The prophet places his hands upon the king's hands, showing him how to shoot the bow or in what direction to shoot the bow. You've got to grab this because there's a teaching lesson here. You see, prophets would not just give you a word. Prophets would always act upon the word that they gave you. That's how it worked. They wouldn't just give a word. They would act upon the word. And he's giving him a teaching lesson here. And the teaching lesson that he's giving that we need to understand is this. Belief without action always leads to frustration. Lord have mercy. That's good preaching. Belief without action always leads to frustration. Why? Because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of God. Then it follows it up by saying that faith without works is dead. You need to understand that your faith will require action on your part. And can I just be honest with you and get up in your business? Reading some of your your mail this week and, and listen, let me just be honest with you and that is this our frustration our in our spiritual journey The reason why sometimes we are frustrated in our spiritual journey has less to do with God and more to do with our unwillingness to act He said get a bow and some arrows Open the east window and shoot strike the ground if you were here last week, you'll remember at the very end of my message, I said something like this, that the word of God always comes in the form of a solution. His word always comes in the form of a solution. If you think about it, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he looked across the earth and it was without form and he spoke the solution and he said, let there be. After he created the earth, he saw that the earth was covered with darkness. So he spoke the solution and he said, bring me a generator, a light bulb with some monofilament. Bring me a few electricians and as many extension cords as you can find. No, he didn't say that. He saw that there was a problem and he spoke the solution. He said, let there be. You see, the word of God is always spoken in the form of a solution. He said, grab your bow and some arrows. The word of God is always spoken in the form of a solution. Grab a bow and some arrows. Open up the east window and strike the ground. The word of God is always spoken in the form of a solution, but the solution always demands action. After all, you've got to understand how the Bible works because Noah, by faith, built an ark. Moses, by faith, went to the Pharaoh. Oh, are you going to preach with me? I need some help. We see that Abraham by faith went to a land we see that David by faith he fought a giant we see that Peter by faith got out of the boat we see that the disciples went what you need to understand is some of you are looking for the solution without your ability or without your willingness to act and that is not called faith if you are looking for the solution but yet you are unwilling to act if you are looking for the solution in your faith without your willingness to act that is not called faith that is called disobedience Because what you need to understand is that God has planted you in the place that you are in because he wants to use you as the solution for that very place. So we see in verse 17, 
in verse 17. Put it up for me. It says in verse 17. I don't know if I told you this or not, but verse 17. It says, open the east window, he said. And he opened it and he said, shoot. He shot in the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. What I love about that passage or that verse of scripture is that Elisha is declaring the victory before the battle ever starts. And he says, shoot the arrow out of the east window. Let me give you the context of that when it comes to the geographical thought process. You see, the Syrians, their enemy was in the east. He's telling them what battle to fight. He doesn't say open the east window and the west window and the north window and the south window. He's very specific as to how and when and where you fight this battle. He even gives him the strategic position to fight this battle in at Aphek. He says, shoot the arrow out of the east window. That was just tradition during that day. That's the way history unfolded. If you were going to invade a land, you would always shoot an arrow into the land that you expected to invade. That is the brave heart moment. This week I was praying, God, how can I define this give me an illustration God that will enable me to define what is happening here so that everyone can grab this picture with clarity and then the God of heaven spoke and the UNC Tar Heels won the national championship everybody say go Heels and all of the Duke fans say amen so 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 Calm down now, simmer down. So, so let me tell you how all of this unfolded. Here's how it unfolded, Mike. Here's how it unfolded. I'm watching this game, and at the end of this game, they're interviewing the players from the national championship team, the Carolina Tar Heels. And they're asking them about the previous year because they lost the previous year. So they came to championships back-to-back years. But they lost last year to Villanova on a last-second shot at the buzzer. It was a buzzer beater. Two times, two years in a row, the UNC Tar Heels were in the national championship. All the Duke fans said amen. And so we see this unfolding. They're asking all of the athletes, listen, did that give you encouragement or discouragement? How did you use that in order to propel you into victory this year? And so they begin to tell the story about last year during the summer, they all met at Coach Williams' house and they begin to talk about something called the redemption tour where they would redeem themselves in a loss. And so one of the reporters said, well, did you watch the last year's game together? And everybody on the team, with the exception of one player, said, we've never seen that game. We've never watched that game, nor will we ever watch that game. And they said, the reason why we did not watch that game is because we did not want to focus on defeat, but rather we wanted to envision victory. Oh, hold on a second. (laughs) Hold on, how does that apply? Because Elisha said, open up the window to a man who had only known defeat. And he said, shoot the arrow of victory over Aram. Shoot the arrow of victory over addiction. Shoot the arrow of victory over your past. Shoot the arrow of victory over despair. Shoot the arrow of victory over lack. Shoot the arrow of victory over brokenness. Shoot the arrow of victory over divorce. Shoot the arrow of victory because I see victory in your future. That is why he put his hands on the hands of the king to show him that God would be with you everywhere you go. What I'm trying to say is you've got to expect it before you can experience
experience it. You've got to say it before you can seize it. You've got to believe in resurrection even though death is all around you. You've got to believe in hope even in the midst of hopelessness. You've got to believe that you will be whole even though all you can see is brokenness. Somebody needs to help me preach and praise the Lord for the solution in your life because the solution always demands action. He said get a bow and an arrow and begin to shoot the victory over your life. Come on somebody, give him praise up in this place. Good Lord have mercy. Get a bow, get an arrow. Shoot the victory. The victory over what is coming against you. But verse 18 and verse 19 exposes the deficit in Jehoash's life. Verse 18 said, then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. He said, take the arrows. And the king took them. How many people in here are thankful for the east window in your life? He said, go to that window. He said, strike the ground. In other words, shoot the arrows that you have. And he struck the ground three times and stopped. The man of God was angry. He stopped. The man of God was angry because he stopped. And he was angry with him and he said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now, you will only defeat Aram three times. Hang on a second, because this verse is so complex when it comes to our faith. It says that he opened up the window and he struck the ground. Thunk. Thunk. Timidly. Thunk. Three times. But what is odd to me is that Elisha had already shown Jehoash that God was using the arrow as the symbol for victory. He had already proclaimed and prophesied the victory in his life. The arrow represented the victory. And now that he's asking Jehoash to shoot over into Aram, to shoot over towards Aram so that he'll experience the victory he only does it three times three times in a timid fashion three times i begin to think about how this resembles prayer it it takes effort you pray but yet you're not sure the outcome it takes application it, it, it takes action on your part and he shoots the arrow. Even though he knows that the arrow represents victory, his demeanor is still categorized and attached to and coalescing with defeat. So he believes that shooting the arrow is really fruitless, if you will. And because of it, his victory is limited. Hold on a second, because this is what the Holy Spirit dropped in my lap. Your victory has everything to do with the amount of your practice. Hold on a second. I don't even know if I gave you that note. Yeah, I did. Your victory has everything to do with the amount 
of your practice. And, and, and by that, I mean this. I don't know where I, my praise team is, but come on, come on. I'm going to begin to close this thing down. I had a baseball coach whom at the time I didn't really like. Today I love. I didn't like him then because he challenged me and made me uncomfortable in things and with things because he saw something in me that maybe I didn't see in myself at that time. He was a very challenging coach, but he would always say, people say, practice makes perfect, but practice doesn't make perfect. I can hear him saying it in my ear right now. Practice doesn't make perfect because if you practice the wrong routine, you'll never reach perfection. If you practice the wrong thing, you'll never reach perfection. Therefore, practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. What I am trying to say to you is that you need to understand what God is trying to place in your spirit today. Some of you need restoration in your marriage. You need to practice restoration. Some of you need restoration in your emotions. You need to begin to practice by speaking into your emotions. Some of you need forgiveness. Well, you need to practice forgiveness before you can experience forgiveness. Some of you need joy. Well, you need to begin to practice words of joy over your life. Some of you need financial freedom, but you need to begin to practice the spiritual discipline called tithing. Some of you want spiritual growth in your life, but you need to practice church attendance. Oh, Lord, have mercy. You're not grabbing this yet. Because Elisha said, you should have struck the ground. You should have struck the ground five or six times. You should have struck the ground Jehoash five or six times. You see, what you're missing is here is this sick prophet who's looking at this king. And he's looking at him, if you will, maybe from, 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 from his bedside. And he sees this quiver on the back of King Jehoash's back. And he notices that there are still a bunch of arrows left. <laughs> he said, you should have. You should have. So I wrote this down this morning. I'm going to share it with you. It's not even in your notes. Here, here it is. His willingness to act determined the size of his victory. Oh, Lord. The amount that he was willing to act determined the size of his victory. Elisha said, he said, you should have if, if you would have, God could have. If you would have, God could have. What you need to understand is your willingness to practice the duration of your practice will also define the size of your victory. Elisha told him, he said, I want you to go to the east window, open the window. He said, I want you to grab a bow, I want you to grab some arrows, and I want you to shoot. Then I want you to strike the ground. He said, I want you to go, I want you to open, I want you to shoot, I want you to strike the ground. Go, open, shoot, and strike. Go, open, shoot, and strike. Go, open, shoot, and strike. He never said stop. The point that I am trying to make in your life today is don't stop. 
stop. Don't stop striking the ground in your marriage. Don't stop striking the ground in your relationships. Don't stop striking the ground in your finances. Don't stop striking the ground in your career. Don't stop striking the ground when it comes to your marriage. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop believing. Don't stop trusting. Don't stop because victory is on its way. Somebody give God a praise up in this place because victory is on the way. Don't you stop. Don't you stop. Don't you stop. Everybody's on their feet. I got to show you something. So then Elisha died and was buried. Elisha died and was buried. Some dude was thrown into the tomb with Elisha. His body came in contact with Elisha's bones. He stood up. He said, what's up? But if you skip down to verse 25, it says, Hazel, the king of Aram, died. And Benadad, his son, succeeded him as king. Then Jehoash recaptured from Behenadad, son of Hazel, the towns that had been taken in battle from his father. Three times Jehoash defeated him. And so he recovered the Israelite towns. God is faithful. God is faithful to his word. But I learned in this, our willingness to act and the duration of our action has much to do with the size of our victory. Some of you today, I need to speak healing into your life. God wants to speak healing into your marriage, healing into your emotions, healing into your finances, healing into your family, healing into your kids. And you've been praying, you've been crying out to God. But you need to understand that when you become desperate enough not only to pray about it, but to act on it, that's when God will answer you.